spins a web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. My name is John Wilson, and I do have Joshua Bertoni and Donovan Grant around for another fun-filled exploration of Spider-Man's life in the 1960s. But this episode is going to be just a little bit different, because normally we have been letting the emails stack up over about a month, and then kind of tackle them all together. When we did that this month, it was a really big segment uh, just covering emails. Fortunately, the issue review that we had recorded previously is a bit shorter than we usually go. So this episode is going to be mostly emails. And then we'll get to all of the random silly things that we had to say on Amazing Spider-Man 23. So we have some emails we're going to read on the show today, quite a lot actually, that have come in over the last month since we last time read emails, so we're just going to dive right in. Josh, why don't you take the first one here? It's from the legendary Jay Walker. I was wondering if that was the Jay Walker who had written this, like the actual (laughs) legendary one. (laughs) Wonder what he thinks of us. Subject line, awesome show. Okay. Think he likes us. Let's, Let's find out. Hi. Just finished listening to episode 12 covering Amazing Spider-Man Annual 1. I'm sort of new to major comic books altogether, but after trudging through the interwebs, I chose Spider-Man. Great choice. And hope to follow him until I've read everything he is in. Mm, Tricky choice. (laughs) I recently bought the Amazing Spider-Man DVD. Another good choice. But after more researching, I found out that there were too many other issues Spider-Man was in. After more relentless Googling, I found Amazing Spider-Man Classics with a similar gold in mind. And now I'm happy I chose Spider-Man, as are we all. I'm a regular listener, and I enjoy the show very much, and I like to follow with the comic book in front of me. One problem I've had is I don't have some of the issues, such as the ones from other magazines, Strange Tales, and Tales to Astonish. Don't worry, they suck. It is... Is it possible to post a list with the order you guys plan on the show so I can get my hands on it beforehand and follow? If it's too much to ask, I can always wait for the podcast, then get the shoes in it, then read. You guys are everything a podcast could have. Insightful and funny. I don't know where he's getting insightful from. <laughs> Spider, Hump, Spider Hump with the Vulture in Annual 1. Oh, boy. I was drinking water on the train at the time of the Aunt May rant, and I happened to catch some angry people with it. <laughs> Whoops. Appreciate what you guys are doing. Awesome show. Keep it up. P.S. Please, please do all of Spider-Man. LOL. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, just because you asked for it, we will not. I have been on a similar mission, uh, Jay Walker, to read everything Spider-Man has been in. If I could just take a second to recommend some resources, the Chronology Project at chronologyproject.com has a list of Spider-Man's appearances in chronological order. It seems to me to be pretty fairly complete. I've not noticed any holes up through 1981. A cross-checking list that I have used is at spiderfan.org, and they have a huge Spidey Comics database with covers, scans, and sometimes reviews. And they will go so far as to include every comic that even has a picture of Spider-Man in it. Uh, There's one early issue of Strange Tales where the torch is throwing darts at a Spidey face board. 
and uh, it's on their database because it's a picture of Spider-Man. So you might have a little bit of trouble telling which one of their issues actually has Spider-Man in it, but they, they do a pretty good job of explaining the different you know categories of his appearances. As far as a list of what we're going to be covering, if you will do the uh, Facebook page, if you'll do a like on there, I do try to keep a couple weeks of notice on what issues we're going to be covering, especially when they go outside of the path of Amazing Spider-Man. So there's that. Amazing Spider-Man Classics is not responsible for any water ejected from your body while listening to the podcast. <laughs> I think or, 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 any other, or any other bodily fluid. Oh, and one other thing. Um, if you go to Google and do a search for Chronological Spider-Man, you will find um, some links. And this email is sent from Aiden Mohan. Aiden Mohan reads, uh, he, or he says, Hey guys, I'm just writing into you guys to, to thank you all for the great podcast you have put together. I'm a big Stan Lee fan, as he was one of the first writers I got into. I really love the innocence and yet a, still a semblance of seriousness. It's great that you guys can both respect these stories and still poke fun at them. Keep up the great work. And I mean that, or I'll find you, and I will kill you. Remember, if you ever need a co-host, just give me a call. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A threat and an offer. Wonderful. You'll kill us and then replace us. Is that what you're trying to say there, Aiden? No, I'm we, should also, we should also mention that you know, ever since becoming becoming an associate of a uh, Spider-Man crawlspace, they've they've you know hired, had us hire some some um, hired goons slash bodyguards. So just come. Oh games. yeah, which which is kind of you know inconvenient. Like when I'm in bed and they're like standing there, you know, making sure that I'm <laughs> safe. It's kind of awkward sometimes. But um, but no, I'm glad you're enjoying oh, the oh, show. Hope likes them though. Yeah. <laughs> And our next email is from, I believe, our first female writer into the show. I'm assuming it's a female because the writer's name is Lindsay. Lindsay Newton, who is writing from Australia. She says, hi guys, loving the show. I've been collecting Amazing Spider-Man since 1985 and have felt a bit unimpressed with the current run. You're not alone there, Lindsay. This podcast has got me to literally dust off my old masterworks and read along with you guys. My enjoyment of these classic books has energized my passion again. It's almost turned into my own personal book club. Keep up the great work. You all seem to be quite knowledgeable. Any idea why this alternate Ditko cover wasn't used for Amazing Spider-Man number 10? And she includes an image. Uh, You can Google it if you just do a search for Amazing Spider-Man 10 alternate cover. There are many uh, sites out there that talk about it. I didn't have any knowledge already in my head so i kind of had to do some snooping around and the best that i could come up with with why they weren't including that cover is possibly the prominence of the gun on the cover might have been a bit disconcerting to the you know editors and maybe just the the composition the action wasn't quite what they wanted i don't know i think uh knowing stanley who i know not personally but i know that he's the guy back in the day he would have guys redraw things if you didn't feel it was dynamic enough. It's probably just a case of uh, not being dynamic. That being said, I remember the original cover has less action, so maybe he wanted more drama. Well, th- this one was nixed in favor of the one that got published. And yeah. in, in my opinion, the one that got published doesn't hold a candle. Uh, it, it was it was a Jack Kirby rush job. It has Steve Ditko drawings of the Enforcers, tiny on the panel, and then a big old Spider-Man with funky webs on his face. And it's just not a good cover. We don't know how often this happened, though. 
I mean, for all we know, this could like there could have been like different three or four different possible covers for all of these old issues that have just gotten lost over time. Right. I've seen this cover before when um, in the Spider-Man Classics reprint series, they they had it in the back as like bonus material. I don't know where else it's been, and unless somebody can correct me, maybe like that's the only reason why people know about it is because it was in that Spider-Man Classics thing. I don't know. That's the impression but, that I got, is that it was revealed as special bonus in the Spider-Man Classics reprint of ASM 10. Yeah, and, and they did that, I think, one or two other times. I could be wrong, but, I mean, they did it for the Amazing Fantasy cover, although I think that that had been revealed previously before. Right, because that's right. The Amazing Fantasy 15 cover is a Jack Kirby cover. There is a Steve mm-hmm. Ditko cover out there that was rejected. So. It's basically like the exact same picture, but from a different angle. Ditko oh. knows, but he's talking. Stanley might know, but he'll probably, well, really start the car now. Stanley knows, but he probably doesn't remember. And Jack Kirby's dead. So there you go. Get your Ouija board. I would imagine that in the comic book business, like like Josh said of Indigo, covers are rejected all the time. And this one just happens to still be around, and so they shared it in the 90s in the reprint of the issue. My impression is that they will probably do several different covers and see what sticks. In fact, with Ultimate Spider-Man, I know that's the case. Because in the hardcovers, there are many times where they will show, show you all the different cover sketches that... Mark Bagley did before, you know, fi- landing on the final composition. It happens. It's, it's just part of the business. They knew the risks when they took the job. This is from Liam Elcode. Subject line, Untold Tales of Spider-Man. Oh, yes. I'm excited already. Yay! <laughs> In the most recent podcast, which may not be the most recent one, but most recent as of when he wrote this, which was August 29th, 2010. You discussed the unavailability of the series in a collected edition. I thought I'd swoop in and let you know that the first eight issues of Untold Tales are available in Marvel Visionaries' Kurt Busiek. Uh Yeah, I, I have seen that. I haven't seen it recently, though. I don't know like how readily available it is. There was also... I think that that's just a reprint of... Because they also collected the first eight issues around the time when the series first came out in another trade paperback, I think that they just, like, reprinted the trade and called it Visionaries Kurt Busiek. The series was only 25 issues, two annuals, and a special. It really wouldn't be, like, that much, that hard to reprint it all in one big volume. I think that that would be awesome. Because the eight issues, those are, like, very, very awesome, but if there's only 25 issues of the series plus the specials, you know... It, it, it's kind of mean just to cut off, especially yeah, exactly. when like most trades now are so much more. I have uh, the um, Kirby Sick Visionaries trade with the the first eight Untold Tales. So, but I, I totally agree. It should be like you know, get the whole series. For the record, it, it is still available. They have it for uh, they have it new at Amazon for eighteen dollars. And I like your theory of it being a reprint. You know, just with, with a new title. Whoa, whoa, whoa! How how, how much does it cost? Seventeen ninety nine. What? Okay, Donovan, do you have this? Because I'm actually, I actually just got a flash memory of a story article that came out when the first Untold Tales trade out. Donovan, you have this Kurt Busiek trade, right? Is it just the Untold Tales stuff, or is there other Kurt Busiek stories in there? No, no, no it, it, it's all, it's, it's all. It says Kurt Busiek visionaries, but it's all Untold Tales to Spider-Man. Yeah, so that's, and that's, okay. that's actually what I was just starting to say. Um, that it's just issues now. eight. I'm remembering that when this trade first came out in the nineties, there the was nineties. There were press about it because it was sold for something like 15 or 20 bucks 
and it's collecting eight issues of a 99 cent series. Oh. And like there was a few comic magazines that called it a big ripoff. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they that's basically double charging you. I mean, cuz you're not going to pay Th- those aren't going to be marked up that high in, in, in back issue bins in comic book shops. I mean, they might have a little bit of markup on them, but not going to be double the cost. Yeah, I remember when – yeah, the, this is when the series was still running and you could still get these at cover price, which, you know, it was – the cover price was $0.99. Cents. That was a very appealing thing about the series. And what were comics numerally running for at that point? Was that was around t- the $2 era? Yeah, it was around two two fifty. dollars uh, although Maximum Clonage Alpha and Omega were $5. Really, which was which is like a lot now. Imagine back then, dude. The um freaking Ultimate Spider-Man one fifty is going to be six bucks. F that s five dollars and ninety nine cents for fifty pages of new material and fifty four pages of reprint material. Oh well, we don't oh, have okay. to worry about that for a while. They're only on issue thirteen right now. Right. <sighs> this one is titled. A few things by Steve J. Rogers. Hey guys, great stuff as always. Thought I'd throw some things your way. Archie comics, huh? Like the description of Archie the gang forever stuck in the same setting, though updated trappings and never really going anywhere. Boy, you know, that could never happen with any famous superhero character. I mean, who would want a character to be forever stuck in the way he was back in, oh, say the books of the mid-1970s through the early 1980s? Oh, wait. Yeah, the the subtlety is brimming there, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your 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 uh, lack of sincerity disturbs me. <laughs> <laughs> Steve continues. I surprised that the classic Spider-Man theme, or even the Joe Perry version for the 1990s cartoon, didn't make the Saturday morning karaoke. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's true. I I, I think that the the point of that blooper was that the things are that were completely off topic. It, it, and not related to Spider-Man anyway. Yeah, not related to Spider-Man anyway. Um. But also, I think that the, the the theme songs we were referencing were a little bit earlier than that. But I don't know if that really matters. Obviously, it, it could have popped into any one of our heads. It just didn't. Well, near, near the end of that run, we did like do a lot of 90s cartoons, but not Spider-Man. But, you know, that's another thing right there. Marvel actually tried to put a simple freaking typo into continuity? Seriously? Seriously? Why didn't they go all the way back and tie in Peter Palmer for crying out loud? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Steve. We explained that, right? Peter Palmer, how he used that in Unto- Untold Tales? I don't know if we actually brought it up on the show. I think we did. Uh, we went to the I, I'm, on this, I'm on this podcast. <laughs> I, I'm sure I brought it up. <laughs> if, oh, wait, wait. Yeah, Peter, I, 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 Peter, did we have Bertoni on that episode? Did, did, I, I Peter Parker, if Peter Parker, like, you know, ate, ate a cookie and... Told Tales of Spider-Man, it was brought up on this podcast. If we see the cookie crumbs in Amazing Spider-Man and we actually saw him eating the cookie in Untold Tales, Josh is going to bring it up. <laughs> and I did see uh, Peter in another situation in a recent Spider-Man comic. And I was racking my brain trying to remember which one it was, but uh, he was using Peter Palmer as an alias recently. And I, I don't remember why, but I do remember reading it. So well, it, it recently. One of the comics that's been released in the last year. Really? I just don't remember the scene, and I'm sorry that I can't. It's possible my brain's making stuff up, but I'm pretty sure it's there somewhere. But anyways, so they they have made nods to Peter Palmer. Although, it would you know, I wouldn't have put it past 1970s Marvel writers to say his parents were secret spies named Palmer, and that they had to change his name as a kid to, you know, keep his identity a secret. 
No, I'm, I'm 100% positive we mentioned that it was in Untold Tales when he uh, went to the eye doctor and didn't want to blow his security identity. But, um, okay. But then again... Which was really smart of Peter. He went to the eye doctor and changed two letters of his last name. He didn't wear a mask. He didn't, like, do anything to disguise his body or his face. But he two letters of his last name. Oh, boy. You know, if that doctor ever tried to track him down, he'd never find him. Really, he probably wouldn't. I mean... If if the name's not the same, there's there's nothing to suggest that the doctor should change letters in the name to find some. Uh, I don't know. Never mind. Go ahead. This is the same company, OCD company that tied Captain America's first shield, that only appears in the very first issue of Captain America comics back in 1941 into Cap's continuity. Even though, come on, sometimes you gotta just go with it. It was that way all along, or what the hell? It was either a simple typo or sand misremembering. Hey, you gotta give him credit for being so being close. And they say the fans are over the top with the nitpicking. I like uh, Cap's original shield. I like that they've um, sort of made that one he carried for a while before he got the circular one. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that they can't explain uh, like costume changes and stuff like that. So shield, I think, falls in that, that category. Steve finishes off. And now a more meteor question. Just was, uh, just was on the Marvel iPad app and noticed that they put up the first 14 issues of the original FF run of Stan and Jack's now iconic Silver Age starter, for Marvel anyway, and knowing that the, at least John has DVD-ROM, I think, that has all the first 500 issues of ASM on in. And I know you guys do really do rely every now and then on the, on that Tor Rent guy for digital downloads. And of course it's all available as well as Marvel's own digital comics platform off of Marvel.com. So what is your take on classic stuff being available in digital computer screen format? It's not like the average fan's going to drop $300 for Fantastic Four issue one. I like the essentials. Um, I grew up with a lot of the essentials because that was like a cool way for me to be able to read all these classic stories. And I wasn't going to drop like, you know, a bunch of money to try and get into Iron Man. But if there was an Iron Man essential for $15 at Borders and I had an interest in Iron Man, hey, I'll pick that up. But, you know, we're in a different environment now. Comics on the computer screen, who cares? I mean, it's it's useful for podcasters, I can tell you that. But it's, <laughs> I mean, if you if you don't like it, you know, buy the essentials. And if, but some people can't spend $300 on a back issue. And there's no series running right now like Marvel Tales or Spider-Man Classics. Um, my question here is, what is the price point for those 40-year-old comics? Because my memory is that the recent-ish comics that Marvel is putting on their iPhone, iPad app, the price point is $1.99. And I can see possibly paying that price for a year-old comic on the iPhone or iPad because you don't want to pay $3.99 for it when it comes out the day of. You'd rather just wait for the reduction in price. I would never in a gazillion years pay $2.00 for a 40-year-old comic that is not the actual thing. I mean, if you're going to give me a scan or, or you know, a, a touched-up, digitally-enhanced scan of a comic that's really, really old, and you're going to charge me the equivalent of full price because it's their, it's their standard full price for new comics, I'm not going to pay it. I would rather get a reprint collection. I would rather get a um, officially-released scan. I actually really, really enjoy the officially released scans because they have the letters pages, they have the ads, and while some of those ads get hokey and you just kind of breeze past them, there are a lot of really fun things there. As we brought to the show, it's 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 good stuff. So yeah, 
as far as uh, relying on that torrent guy, obviously that's not something that we can um, endorse here on the show. It's illegal procurement of property. That's all yeah. I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> My take is that um, I like buying and reading a comic book myself. I don't really plan on. I think I, reading comics online. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I have done it. I mean, I've done it in the past. But I will say that like it's it it's it's basically reading the same thing. However. If you were going, if, if we're talking about which one do you prefer, you know, if it, if it had it one way or the other, I would always like rather have it, you know, and right in front of me, you know, sitting down comfortably instead of getting out my laptop and you know bending over backwards to kind of look at it. Not really bending over backwards, but I, I would, you know, what the basic question was, what is your take on class being to? I mean, I don't mind it, but it's not as preferable to the actual, you know, traditional way of reading comic books. Yeah. And you're not the only one who feels that way. I've heard a lot of people say they really enjoy holding the comic in their hand, and reading is a is a uh, tactile experience to them. And you know, everyone's you know sensibilities work differently, so it's whatever you like. I personally don't have that need to hold the comic in front of me. So, but I could be a minority. I'm a you know middle class white male. So if I'm a minority, and the fact that I don't mind holding a comic, then that's at least one way I can be a minority. <laughs> <laughs> Dream big. <laughs> no, I've got to get there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> would this yes. mean that, like, that, that that it would be a hate crime to do anything to you? <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know, um, because I don't. It depends, it depends on the crime. I mean, you, you can beat me up, and it's not a hate crime. If you beat you me say... up because I don't, I don't need to hold a comic to read it. Please, no one come and beat me up. Please, I don't need that in my life. Again. Again. <laughs> oh, did I tell you about that? Okay. <laughs> One thing is for sure, it is nice picking up FF1 for, for bargain bin price. Though I like that original cover price even more, actually. Till next time, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Now that's an idea. Releasing comics at their original cover price for digital download on the iFat, iPhone iPad app. IFAP. IFAP. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But... But wouldn't like bandwidth fee? But wouldn't like you know? I I don't know how this all works. I I don't know. But maybe like bandwidth and other stuff, they might be losing money. It's possible because if you're, I mean, especially if you start putting out a whole bunch of the Silver Age stuff, that's a bunch of dime and twelve cent comics. And I would seriously, I would be all over that. Like I would, I would just get the DVD ROM. I mean, those DVD ROMs, you know, were awesome. I got the Fantastic Four one in two thousand and seven, and I went nuts. Yeah, and really it works out about the same thing. Uh, 500 comics for a dime a piece is uh, 50 bucks, which is how much about how much they charge for that thing. Uh, I got less on eBay. Uh, well, but, it's because you're I so- mean, it's, it, somebody who like knows more about networking, computers, bandwidth, and economics will probably tell me why the statement that I just said is like idiotic and how I fail forever. But until then... Okay, our next email is from Eric Gentry. He uh, writes an email entitled ASM Classics. Oh, wait. That's us. Woohoo! <gasps> Hello. I caught up on the podcast recently at work. I know what you guys are going through because I'm doing the same thing. A little over a year ago, I found the last issue I needed to complete my run of Spectacular Spider Man. Oh, so you got the second one? Because there were only two issues of spectacular oh wait the wrong spectacular spider-man sorry and i started the reading project 
I've read hundreds of issues, including guest appearances and crossovers. I'm in the middle of the Clone Saga right now, and I'm stalled because my dad is remodeling his house, and my 21 boxes of comics are in storage. Anyway, good luck on the podcast. It's fun to hear all of the interesting behind-the-scenes facts. Regards, Eric. So sad that your comics are in storage, dude. I mean, what do you do with which your time? I'm like, I'm really curious which Clone Saga. Is it the awesome one or the one that like was also awesome but it dragged on for way too long? I'm guessing he's talking about the 90s one because he's he uh, has been reading through Spectacular. And uh, the Spectacular hadn't started yet when the original Clone Saga happened. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, if you like the 90s Clone Saga and love me and Donovan on podcast, then... And I know you do. I'm, I'm, then I'm really happy for you. And I have nothing more to say on that. <laughs> no, no. You have to say it. Clone Saga Chronicles. Go there. Well, no one listens to that show. <laughs> As been proved by other podcasters. <laughs> yeah. I, I love uh, that on yeah. the intro. I really do. Okay, this email to Amazing Spider-Man Classics marked urgent. Request for urgent business relationship. First time I solicit your strictest confidence in this transaction. This is by virtue of its nature as being utterly confidential and top secret. I am sure and have confidence of your ability and reliability to prosecute a transaction of this great magnitude involving a pending transaction requiring maximum confidence. We are top official in the federal government contract review panel who are interested in importation of goods into our country with funds which are presented trapped in Nigeria. What the <laughs> okay okay nobody interrupted the nigerian prince email gag like <laughs> i was just waiting to see i was, waiting, I was just yeah, where, where is this going <laughs> what the deuce that's pretty awesome dude he's a nigerian prince we should totally give him some money we should and another one from eric gentry because he's so awesome that he wrote to us twice which Hi, we guys. love by the way yeah Write us three times. Hi, guys. I just listened to the newest episode. You guys didn't mention it during the show, but in the reprint of Avengers 11 in the 2005 issue of Avengers Classics 11, there is a 10-page epilogue to the story where Spider-Man has a nice chat with Captain America in which Cap tells Spidey about Iron Man's roller skates, and they have a laugh about it. It's worth checking out. I have not read that issue. I will have to. I'm curious now to see if it see how it relates with the recent Amazing Spider-Man annual that was supposed to be the first meeting between Spider-Man and Captain America. Uh, well, they have like four of those. Have they had a- Yeah, it's not as bad as Batgirl and Catwoman, though. They have a new first meeting every year. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's actually a very like ranty inside joke of mine. Because there was uh, the recent Amazing Spider-Man annual that just came out earlier this year. That was supposed to be the first meeting between Spider-Man and Cap, but it happens just a couple days after the Avengers number 11. So, Eric, if you've read both those stories, let us know how they how they jive, or if they don't jive at all. And I shall read an email from Adam Spencer. Hey, guys. I just want to say I've been listening to all your casts and love them. I am like a Spidey crack addict waiting for the next one. <laughs> I've been reading ahead, and I am in the 60s right now. I, I assume he means, uh, obviously, the issue, the issue number 60s, because we're all in the 60s. <laughs> we're all in the same boat, my friend. I keep thinking, can't wait to hear the, what the classic guys will say about this one. All of the jokes on Stan's goofy stuff and praise for his brilliance are great. The reviews by John's daughter are one of the best parts. I always look, I always look forward to those. I read the classic Spidey stories with my daughter, but she's only 10 months old, so her reviews are not quite as articulate. She seems, <laughs> she seems to enjoy when I do Doc Ock's voice and Betty's whining. <laughs> she also cried when we were discussing Omit on Skype. <laughs> so I think she has excellent taste. 
continue your amazing podcast and no more droughts like in July. You have me with drawls. Keep on flipping. Adam, a.k.a. FSU Spider Fan on the Spider-Man Crossways message boards. Thank you, Adam. As far as your withdrawals, um, please forward all insurance claims to that for that to uh, Joshua Bertoni, and I'll put his address on the uh, show notes. <laughs> Don't worry about post draft. As far as I'm concerned, they never happened. Bong. Bong. <laughs> awesome job reading to your daughter. Uh, I wanted to read uh, comics to my son. He's 18 months old. Today, actually. Uh, we're recording this on September 16, and he is... Uh, 18 months old today, but he um, has the attention span of... A baby? Yeah, something with a very short attention span. He will not sit still for the comics. So, uh, not even for just like flipping through it. He likes Spider-Man. He likes Spider-Man's face. He likes seeing it. And he really likes the song of the cartoon, the one that we use for our theme here. So he'll he'll pay attention to that when it comes on, but he won't sit there and look at a comic. But, you know, when he gets a little bit older, a little bit calmer, we'll definitely be breaking out Spider-Man and the X-Men and Letting him see the goodness. As far as the comics that are in the 60s, estimating it will probably reach issue 60 next May. So you're just going to have to tough it out, dude. Sorry. But we'll be recording those next week with the way that John has us ahead. So don't worry. There there will be no more droughts. John has, like, episodes backlogged till through you don't know when. Trust me. I I learned my lesson. We now have about a month between... Well, I just started recording this on September 16th. We're actually recording this email segment like a week before this episode gets released, even though the rest of the episode was recorded a month ago. There is now going to be a month between recording and release, just in case anything happens. <sighs> Learn my lesson. Oh. And again from Eric Gentry. Eric, you're our biggest fan. We love you. Uh, he wrote us an Great email. Great things come in threes. Uh, Except the Trinity comic sucked. although although jeffrey taylor's hometown was in that so that's pretty cool but the series sucked he just listened to the last episode uh before this one that uh, you're listening to right now and he says foot painting hey guys just heard the newest episode good stuff fun fact that foot painting that steve ditko was looking at was seen again in web of spider-man 73 during the art attacks storyline in which Spider-Man and the Human Torch fight an old Strange Tales villain called the Painter. <laughs> How horrifying is that? This is uh, the Painter. Yeah, I I reread that last week, and I wished I had read it before we did the podcast. But Spider-Man, they're going to the art museum, and like Peter sees the painting, he's like, "Figures this one is still here. No one wanted to buy it because there was that running joke in the Dicko issue about the art." But yeah, Willie Lumpkin was Aunt May's date. It's good fun and. There's more Peter Parker versus Johnny Storm stuff, you know, both in and out of costume. And then Johnny and Peter, like, almost get into a fight, but they walk away each thinking how mature they are. And they both get the same mirroring thought balloon. Johnny's like, oh, things have been different ever since I married Alicia. And Peter's thinking, things have been different since I married Mary Jane. And if this was done now, it would be, oh, things have been different ever since Mephisto erased my marriage to Mary Jane. And Johnny would say, oh, things have been different if ever since it turned out that my wife was actually a shape-shifting alien who faked the pregnancy. <laughs> oh, God. The way things change. No, I looked yeah. at the cover to this issue because, okay, I had to actually, I, I owe you a debt of thanks, Eric, because when I read that issue of Amazing for the first time a couple years ago, a little thing in my head said, that seems vaguely familiar, but I had no idea why it would have been, so I ignored it. But Web of Spider-Man 73 was my first issue of Web of Spider-Man to purchase when I started collecting comics. I got 
Amazing Spider-Man number 341 was the beginning of a uh, trilogy where he loses his powers. Actually, he lost his powers in the previous issue, but this is the beginning of the new storyline where he's dealing with it. And all the other Spider-Man comics were mid-storyline at that point, so I waited for the next storyline to start off. And December cover date was the Puma, and February cover date was Art Attack. So that was my first issue of Web, and I do remember seeing that in the issue now that you've mentioned it, so thank you. This cover is really, really crazy, though. It has <laughs> it has Spider-Man and Human Torch fighting these three insanely wacky villains. It was a different art style, like, each part of the story. Like, it was avant-garde art one issue and, like, performance art one issue. And I think for this issue, because they're at, like, an Alicia Storm exhibit, because, yes, she was Alicia Storm at this point. The Thing's girlfriend married the Human Torch, except it wasn't really her. It was, like, sculpting exhibits. But all over the page, it has special surprise guest star with an arrow pointing to the Human Torch. And guess what? <laughs> if he's on this the guy. cover, he's not a special surprise. <laughs> But there's um, but there's another special surprise guest star that we, that you can't see until you open the book. Yeah, there it's are really other lump- surprises, but it says like special surprise villains. The it's, it's Willie Lumpkin. Oh yeah, special surprise romance you can't see unless you open up. There's Willie Lumpkin with Aunt May. Special surprise guest inker, and it it draws a little arrow to the cover inker's signature. Um, special surprise villains the headman, and there are the headman right on the cover. And it's just like these aren't special surprises because you know. There, right there. But okay, anyway. Okay. Tangent. How long was uh, Willie Lumpkin with Ame? Not was that long. It was for like a year or two. It was just one of those things that kind of got him forgotten about. Like, yeah. it was only in one or two titles, and it was really soon after Nathan died. Like, very creepily soon. Like, <laughs> less than 10 issues after Nathan died. She was like, and I think she even like asked Peter for his blessing or something. And then like, you know, Peter was uncomfortable around Willie Lumpkin at first, you know, and then like they made their amends. He's like, I have honorable intentions. Look at me. Wiggle my ears. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I guess I just came in right after Nathan died because I remember when Willie got introduced when he was delivering mail and he and Aunt May started flirting. And then, yeah, he did just kind of – it faded away and stopped being part of the story. Oh, my God. I just Googled him. Saga. I, ran, I ran to the panel where he says, face the tiger, you just hit the jackpot. You got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. you you With Eric Larson Hart, yeah. Uh, no. Willie Lumpkin, I, he was just – there was a lot of things that got dropped when the, when the Clone Saga happened because the Clone Saga just took up so much energy that a lot of stuff going on with the supporting cast and everything else was dropped. And obviously with Aunt May dying – I, yeah, there was like a backup. The- there was a backup Willie Lumpkin story after Aunt May died of like Willie in like one of the big specials or annuals or something where Willie like remembers Aunt May. I have. That. Is made, it the Christmas one? Because I have that. Yeah, they made no effort to like you know hook back up again though after Aunt May got back. You know she was having. I was surprised to find out that There's he was act- a Fantastic Four character when I when I got the chance to read like the first Fantastic Four Marvel Masterworks collection and saw he's Lee Kirby. Lumpkin. Yeah, he's he's totally Lee Kirby old school like before lee and kirby hit their hit their stride uh he was already basically faded away and forgotten he's he's older than that though he's one of no no he's he's a lead he's a he's a creation of uh stanley and dan nicarlo because he was originally like a comic strip character that like uh there was another there was there were some other characters that that stanley did created before he went to timely or, or when it was still timely but he kind of it was imported but he was created before the fantastic four comics Another interesting thing about Art Attack, and I know that we're like talking about a book that we're not supposed to be covering on here for another like 50 years, but 
So okay, in this issue, Peter Peter gets introduced to Alicia Master Storm, because remember she was Storm at the time. And a letter writer complained a few issues later, later saying that that was a big mistake because Peter already met Alicia back in Marvel two and one years ago. Alicia should have remembered that she met Peter Parker before. Well, obviously with the retcon that came later, that this Alicia is a shapeshifting scroll. That actually kind of fits. Yeah, that's true. So I, I I love that retcon. It's one of like those fascinating Fantastic Four things to me. And like reading this, they they obviously did not have the retcon in mind, but it, it works. Except you say, well, then why doesn't Peter remember Alicia? But maybe he knew she was a space alien. That brings us to the end of the emails for this episode. I want to thank everyone very sincerely for writing into the show. The email address, if you want to share your thoughts with us, is AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. We will try to sprinkle in emails more frequently so that we don't have to spend an hour uh, going through them on an episode because I know that y'all want to get to the actual comic books. But we do enjoy conversing with our fans and we do enjoy having the time on the show to hear your thoughts and share our responses. Uh, Before we move on to the comics, however, for this episode, we do have two iTunes reviews that we want to read and uh, give gratitude for. Yes, yes, we do. And the first one we shall read... Is entitled Five Out of Five Stars Great Podcast by Jason M71. He reads, I, I first read these stories in the early 80s via Marvel Tales. Lots of fun to reread the comics and then listen to the podcast. Plus, Amazing Spider-Man Classics is a great way to kill time while washing dishes. I'll take that as a compliment. I totally do the same thing, Jason M. I almost always have podcasts or audiobooks going whenever I'm washing the dishes. And if I don't don't want to pay a super close like cerebral attention to following a plot... I will put on a classics episode and just let the goodness roll. So, um, is it? I don't know if it's egotistical to listen to your own show while you're washing the dishes, but I do. So, dude, I, I listened to I, I listened to both that and CSE yesterday. Um, you know, on my own accord with 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 nothing else to do. So, not that I not that I wouldn't enjoy it. I I, I listen to it as a fan. So I guess I'm the ultimate narcissist or something. <laughs> I'm a fan I of like, myself. I like to listen to podcasts when I'm washing homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> It really takes me out of, you know, it, and it's, it, it lets my mind wander, and, you know, it doesn't remind me of how I've hit rock bottom. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, and I really don't know what to say to that. There's no reason to burn them alive. It's, it's fine. I just wasn't expecting it. You don't usually go that dark. <laughs> well, it could have gone, it could have gone darker. I mean, there was another place I was going to go, but I thought, nah. <laughs> we've been ever, We've been everywhere tonight. Reading the damn emails. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the other iTunes review is from ZX1996. It is titled Question. He gives us five stars. Thank you, ZX. I found this podcast five days ago, and I am on number nine. But if you guys don't mind, I would like to ask a question. In what comic did Carnage first appear? I'm like one of his biggest fans, but I just started to read the comics. I was there and reading for his first appearance. I remember wondering... Amazing Fantasy 15. No, I was not there for Amazing Fantasy 15. No, that was Carnage's first appearance. Was not. Yeah, he was that little boy that was told never to see another horror movie again. (laughs) 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 That was Cletus... He like he went home and he killed his mom. That's why Carnage grew up in that orphanage that they show you in that David McAlhinney arc. And 
I mean, and then because his mother took horror movies from him, like after she died, you know, of that bloody death, he saw so many horror movies that like it just like, you know, made him become a serial killer. That's why he became Cletus Cassidy serial killer. It's that is a very well planned out joke. <laughs> I freaking love that retcon. <laughs> that is awesome. And when I become the head writer of Amazing Spider-Man, I will implement it. Oh yes. But 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 actually, in seriousness, um, Cletus Cassidy's first appearance was as Eddie Brock's cellmate in Amazing Spider-Man number three hundred forty-four, cover date March nineteen ninety-one. And it's actually a really cool thing that they did. Eddie Brock is in jail, and Cletus Cassidy is there with him. And you can tell that Cletus Cassidy is completely off his gourd. And he's got several consecutive life sentences that he has to serve for all the murders that he's committed. And the symbiote comes and breaks Eddie out of jail and leaves behind a few drops of symbiote liquid. Uh, that got caught on the you know bricks and mortar of the wall whenever it burst through and broke Eddie out of jail. And you have a close-up on the drops, and the say- scene ends. And they don't do anything with it for several issues. And then you have like you know a page or maybe less than that of a scene with Cletus doing something else with those drops. I forget exactly how it all played out. Or maybe you don't get anything else until he actually comes back as Carnage and you get a flashback. I forget how they did it. But... No, that, the, the, there, there's an issue of him sitting in the cell, like, talking to himself. It's like, yeah, we're going to do horrible things. And then the guard's like, all right, Cletus, time for bed. Oh, yeah? Ba-bam! And he, like, <laughs> breaks out. And there's, like, another, like, you know, uh, before the first Carnage, like, three-parter, or was it a four-parter? You see, like, three him parter. killing somebody, but you don't, like, see Carnage's full body. You see, like, his eye and, like, you see him choking somebody's by the mouth, like, in an extreme close-up. It's, I'm pretty sure it's like, incorrect me if I'm wrong, but it's 361 through 363. Okay, I, here, I got those when I was a kid. Here's the thing. He shows up in 344 as Cletus and again in 345. Because, oh yeah, you meet him as Eddie Brock's cellmate in 344. Then Eddie Brock gets broken out in 345. And then a year later, in 359, they start building up to the debut of Carnage. So if you want to get Carnage's first appearances, you'll want to get 344 and 345. And then 359, and he officially appears as Carnage in issue number 360. So those are your first Carnage stories. And if you want to get a more complete list of all of his different appearances, I would suggest going to chronologyproject.com, and where it says search the project, put Carnage in there, and you'll get a list of everything he's been in. And also they are starting up a new Carnage miniseries. I think the first issue comes out in November. Yeah, they're saying that it's not going to be Cletus Cassidy. At least that's what they're hinting because a lot of people think Cletus Cassidy's dead because Sentry ripped him in half. But at the time that that issue of New Avengers came out, when like Carnage supposedly died, people were noting that Carnage was acting more like Ultimate Carnage because Bendis was riding it. And when he was ripped in half, it didn't even look like there was a human host inside. And so some people were speculating that Cletus might still be alive somehow. Okay. So that Death of Carnage didn't even appear in Spider-Man. It appeared in an off-title? New Avengers yeah, like issue half of his villains too. New Avengers issue 2. It was like uh, there was a breakout and everyone was attacking and then Sentry's oh, like, oh, Carnage, hi. Come to space. Rip you in half. <laughs> Come to space. I have no memory of Carnage being in that. That's 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 kind of amazing because I thought I would I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a picture of it. It was like skip two or three pages and you'll miss it. Yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just... 
I, I, I don't have a mental image for it. But anyways. For, for uh, some more Carnage history lessons, Venom actually like went into prison during the reboot era and said, you know what? I'm going to take the symbiote back. And he merged the Carnage symbiote back with the Venom symbiote. Didn't he eat it was the freaking thing? Yeah, he, 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 did, he ate it. He liked awesome. it. And then, like, so Cletus Cassidy, like, escaped from jail and he painted his body red. And he's like, aha, you know, and he, like, got knocked out with one punch or something. But then in Web Spinners, he went into another dimension with Spider-Man and stuff. And there was, like, okay. a treasure chest or something. And he opened it. And there was an identical Carnage symbiote to the one that he had before. I'm not lying about that. This isn't like Little Kid from Amazing Fantasy 15 or Princess Python's, you know, Python is from the Savage Land. That actually happened. <laughs> no, no, I believe you. I Carnage is one of those characters that when he debuted, I thought he was really cool because he was just so sadistic. But, you know, Maximum Carnage just kind of began the long trek of the symbiotes being taken off the rails. And it's kind of sad to me because, you know, late 80s, early 90s, Symbiotes were the bomb, and Venom and Carnage, those were some really awesome villains, and I'm, I'm kind of sad that they're just not anymore. I think that they kind of get a bad shake these days. I mean, people have really, really turned on Venom and Carnage as villains, I think, for the majority of it. Because like, I think with the movies and everything, there's been a resurgence of the, of the Ditko villains. I mean, Sandman's relevant again, for God's sake. So a lot of people point at Venom and Carnage to say how stupid they are, but I think they have – I think legitimately – they can be really good villains if they're not over overwritten. Like, I think the first Connor Sleep Party was actually a very good story, like like all like across the board. And I think that Venom, like forty percent of the forty percent of his villain appearances have been really good. So, I mean, I think he's a good stuff. I, I think that you know every character can be written badly, but it doesn't mean that they're bad characters necessarily. Carnage also appears in Ultimate Spider-Man, and I do another podcast where I'm the co-host which is called Teenage Wasteland, an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. And we have done issues on the Carnage arc. It um, is not as good. In continuity, Peter is dating Carnage. Not, yeah, in, in current continuity, yeah. In current Ultimate Spider-Man continuity, yeah. not, not not 616. In, in Ultimate, yeah, Peter's dating <laughs> They're They're in a relationship. It's Gwen Stacy, not Carnage. Yeah, but it is Gwen Stacy, Donovan, but it's like... Carnage taking the form of Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy's dead, and Carnage like took on Gwen Stacy's memories and like her DNA and like kind of changed to like emulate Gwen Stacy. So it's not Gwen Stacy, but it's not Carnage either, because they did it. It is no, but they did a scan of her. There is no molecular trace of symbiote. She is a she is an exact copy of Gwen Stacy. Okay, but how did she become Gwen Stacy? Well, there's that. There's that, but (laughs) she's not Carnage anymore. There's only I mean, one way to settle this. This With is violence. Violence. <laughs> I challenge you to a duel. It, it, it's weird. Now you know when Carnage first appeared. Now you know that Carnage is Gwen Stacy. Now you. Uh, <laughs> now you know never to read it. Now I'm just gonna say that the um, the Ultimate Carnage storyline is not as good as I wanted it to be for uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, but it was it was still pretty good, and we had some fun with it on the show. And that brings us to the end of a, an epic email segment. So now let's talk about some comics. 1964 is down, on with 1965, specifically January 12th, which saw the release of Amazing Spider-Man 23, with the return of Dun-Dun-Dun, the Green Goblin! The cover is a great scene of the Goblin both throwing pumpkin bombs at Spider-Man and trying to tangle him in his own webnet, with Spidey in a sort of awesome Steve Ditko mid-air pose. It's really kind of cool. 
says, don't waste a minute. You've got to see Spidey in action against the Goblin and the Gangsters. We are also told by the thing at the bottom, the MMMS wants you. Open oh, is that what book? it says? I don't have that. <laughs> uh, you don't have that on your cover? Afraid not, no. Open up the book, and my god, that's an awesome opening splash page. The goblin's like flying right towards the camera with pumpkin bombs, finger sparks, glider fumes everywhere, and behind There are no cameras in comics. Well, you know what I mean? The perspective of the viewer, that, that camera. The, my iPhone camera that I'm holding up in front of the screen to take a picture of it right now. <laughs> as, as it's on okay. pause. Spidey's trying to get him, but he has to get past all these thugs. It's just really kind of cool. Story is called The Goblin and the Gangsters, written in the spellbinding style of Stan Lee, illustrated in the magnificent manner of Steve Ditko, lettered in the frenzied fashion of Artie Semek, dedicated to the new breed of comics magazine reader, to you, the modern Marvel fan, who will accept nothing less than the best in story and art. And I think that Marvel had realized that they were catering to this audience who thought of themselves as better than the other comic readers, because DC admittedly was still putting out basically child's fare at this point in time. So I, I think I think Marvel realized that, you know, their readers were older, they were getting a lot of letters from university students who were reading Marvel comics and had no time for any other brand. So the new breed You never of find Superman coming home and having his aunt yell at him over where he's been. <laughs> so Everyone enjoys a fast-moving cops and robbers story. I mean, you throw in a costumed superhero, a colorful supervillain, and the marvelous Marvel manner, it's got to be good. Want proof? Just take a look at the opening scene of the Green Goblin. He's trying to convince Lucky Lobo to turn over leadership of his gang. And Lucky's having none of that. And boy, thought, are those ears long. He has some massive ears here, doesn't he? It's like the cage with Spock and you have these huge... Not of the cage, the uh, where no man has gone before. Yeah, the, right. Oh my gosh... Spock's ears are huge, and the goblin's ears are so big. I can fit a, an omnibus in there. <laughs> <laughs> and you have. And so Lucky's having none of this. His thugs chase the goblin off, though really the goblin chooses to leave of his own accord. He overcomes all their attacks easily. His goal right now is to take over Lucky Lobo's gang and then watch all the other mobs fall into line so that he can be the king of crime. So it seems to me like his goals haven't changed much. In 14, he wanted basically the same thing, and at that point, I kind of interpreted it as filling the void left by the big man. His efforts there and in 17 were just to get Spider-Man out of the way first, and now I guess he's not as concerned with that. He's just going straight to his to his crime ambition. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you say that he's trying to replace big man. Right here, it seems that Lucky Lobo is like an up-and-coming pillock. But, yeah, but if but if if he has Lucky Lobo's gang, that's like a very big step into replacing like. Into being a criminal master. Getting all the other gangs to follow his gang. Like, like taking out the queen on a chessboard. Like being big boy Caprice, taking out little face and flat top and lips and the brow to follow you. Dick Tracy? No? Yeah, no, no, no. I was just about to say 10 respect points <laughs> for you because I recognize those guys. Dick Tracy is awesome. We just watched that last night with uh, with the daughter. She thought it was really cool. That's one of my favorite movies, honestly. Madonna. was back, That was back when she was still, you know... Young That's what, that was like when she made sense to be cast, unlike Dino the Day. She wasn't cast. She was in the music. Wait, no. She, yeah, she was in the movie. Wasn't she was she? a fencing instructor for like a scene. That's right. I, I, I burned that from my brain. <laughs> I, remember the, I remember the music video where she's like fencing and there's like all this eye candy for Bond fans. Just another day. Yeah. 
But now let us briefly turn away from such sordid matters and visit the quiet suburban home of Peter Parker the next morning, where we find Peter getting out of the shower, happy that it's Saturday. He goes to the attic to retrieve his spider suit where it was hanging to dry after washing the night before, but it's still damp, so he's going to leave it hanging. Check off the gun, anyone? He could take this opportunity to wear short sleeves, since he's not wearing his spidey suit underneath, but of course he doesn't. It might be cold. It's New York. In in January, even. So, yeah, you're right. He's going out to the library to study, but Aunt May tells him to call if he'll be out late, because she's still upset about the events of last issue. Buying a newspaper on his way to the library, Peter's surprised to read of the goblin raiding the racket spots hideout. Peter's confused, and is curious about this news item. Why is the Green Goblin raiding a gang boss. So he decides to stop at the Daily Bugle on his way to the library. While there, he looks for Betty at her desk, but she's not there. What he does find, though... Oh, God! That he is. Oh, no. <laughs> a letter from Ned Leeds in Europe. That two-timing... Because I thought <laughs> that, things were all over with them. That two-timing double-crossing female? Female! It's a good thing he didn't open the leather, because he would have found, like, Polaroids of Ned, you know, posing in his underwear, and... <laughs> I know. Nope. Th- thanks but, for like, the like, pictures. Thanks for in, the pictures, in, Betty. In capital red letters, the only thing it says is, do you want me? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how he got to the conclusion that things were all over with them, because they were pretty sweet and romantic before he no, left. No, no. Right? Like, like he says, like, how long... She says, First of all, he was invited over the, ca- the taxi cab thing, so, oh, if they're really serious, then they wouldn't have done that. And then she says... Well, how long will he be gone? Oh, six months. Come on, let's go hang out, Peter. And he, so I, he, I would totally be with him inside. Okay, and she has been agonizing over him so much that he must have thought she forgot all about it. I think that. Peter thought out of sight, out of mind, just because, like, you know, Betty hadn't mentioned Ed for a while, and as far as he knew, and as far as the fans knew, it was back to the status quo. Little did we know. So, leaving Betty's mail alone, because it's none of your business, Peter, he looks around to see Jonah Jameson talking to a now out of jail Frederick Foswell, formerly with a mustache, man, with a mustache and a very much longer head and a full head of gray hair. Now, this just made this Green Goblin story more interesting for me because theoretically that was who the Goblin was initially trying to replace in the underworld, and now he's back. So, kind of to me, mm. pretending I don't know how it's all going to turn out, it kind of ups the stakes a little bit. Peter finally gets a moment with Betty, and after being turned down for a date because of work, he tries to prod her at bringing up the letter. But it skips her mind until after he's gone. So Peter thinks she's hiding Ned from him. Now, Anything who's... else new lately? Why no? I guess I must read a lather dull life. Yeah. What, what, what's, wanted, a, what, 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 what's a dull life? You are a teenage girl, underage, high school dropout, who's taking care of your sick mother, and you are an executive assistant to one of the biggest media moguls in the world. But and you've been kidnapped like, like like three times by Doctor Octopus. But nothing interesting happened that day. I took it as kind of sarcastic. <laughs> I took it as kind of well, sarcastic. Like you know, well, anything I, else going on? Well, I mean, forgetting everything else I just mentioned, you know, like the whole fact that she's the teenage secretary. To J. Jonah James. I mean, that would be like if someone was like, you know, if like Sally Johnson, 16-year-old, like, you know, became the secretary to Ted Turner or something. Right. I mean, it's a pretty, you know, like different life that she lives. So I, that's what I was saying. I, I kind of took it as sarcastic because like, you know, maybe nothing that she could bring up as notable right that moment happens. But, you know. Yeah, I, I take it that meaning too, John. Now I says like, so yeah, I guess I lead a dull life since, you know, I can't please you right now. <laughs> I, I just want to tell Peter, you know, now who's playing the jealous crazy bitch? Because uh, he's all asking about Ned. Anyway, so meanwhile, 
Pete leaves the building. He sees Frederick Foswell talking with a shady-looking character. He decides to trail him as Spider-Man, but when he ducks into a phone booth to rip open his shirt, he remembers that he left the costume at home. Spider-Man 2. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like however, the Superman theme starts playing, then like the, the sound of the record skipping. <laughs> so, however, nice and comfy in his snug-fitting, dry costume, the Green Goblin is wasting no time at all. He meets clandestinely with one of Lucky Lobo's men, who's turned snitch, and gives Gobby the list of all his illicit dealings that he hides from the Income Tax Bureau. Which I, love the, I love the guy that's like, you know, he's saying... Yeah, Loki does this is a better thing. I'd be kaput if you knew I was double-crossing him. As though he wants to commit suicide if someone were, like, spying on him. Like, if anyone's hearing me, then that'll know that I'm, you know, screwing him over. He's really exposing hugely there. So the Goblin plans to take this, you know, this list and make it public. But we don't know exactly how yet. And later, at the Swank Midtown Business Executives Club, we find Jonah Jameson hanging out with a bunch of rich old farts, including... Dun-da-da! Perseverance! Norman Osborn. Currently unnamed. Now, we've yeah. said this in previous episodes, but let's just make it clear again here. This is the Green Goblin's third story. And according to Steve Ditko himself, he intentionally introduced Norman Osborn's face into the crowd. And he knew this was the Goblin's private identity. And later in Peter's college days, he will intentionally draw Harry Osborn to look like this guy because he wanted Peter to be in college with the Green Goblin's son. The notion that's been floating around the fandom for decades that Ditko left Amazing Spider-Man, due in part to the Goblin's identity and disagreements over what that should be, has been denied by the man himself. Is it wrong that I kind of take Ditko's assertion that he intentionally started playing the seeds for Norman Osborn to be the Green Goblin with a grain of salt? Because I don't want to say that like he has as bad a memory as Stan Lee does or anything, but to me, in co- even, even for a 60s Marvel comic, I think that kind of foresight is really, really, like, like ahead of the game. And that, while that was really cool, so part of me thinks that, like, I don't know if he... I mean, he, he, he seemed pretty quick to say that in that interview. But, um, it I mean, wasn't I'm not, an I, interview. It was, like, a rambling essay or something. Yeah, it was oh, part yeah. of another thing that he wrote. That's true. My thought is, yeah, it, this is issue 20, what, 3? Yeah. So the Green Goblin's reveal is still 15, 16 issues down the road. Um, but the Green Goblin is the only villain that they haven't given a backstory to in an origin. Well, the only villain that we haven't seen a face. I should say that because there have been other villains we have no backstory for. But no, it doesn't really. The chameleon's face. Right. Well, no one wants to care. No one cares who he is. <laughs> it seems to me like they that Stan and Steve might have like, even if they didn't know what their long term plans were going to be, they might have actively toyed with how they wanted to play with the identity and tease the fans. And okay. that's why Steve might have put the face in the crowd. Saying, you know, whatever we do with him, this is the guy right here. I could see George Lucas or Stan Lee lying about this. But it's not (laughs) like Steve Ditko has, like, a record of, like, you know, trying to showboat attention and saying, why, yes, it was me all along. Yeah, that's true. He's he's Mr. A, so. And he doesn't really have a – he hasn't really made himself accountable to fans. Okay, that's actually a good point. That's actually a very good point to – Turn it back on him being. I, I, I think that Steve's and Stan's reasons for splitting up are completely private between them. But they oh, had to do politics. They had and to do. Steve brought up a good point. Yeah. Like the Green Goblin, like making Steve leave Marvel altogether. That would be very trite. Right. There was something different going on. Something more profound. You know, it's been said in discussions that it was their, you know, political differences. They're just com- they had a completely contrary worldviews and had problems getting along. 
I find it's that actually rather of a, it's actually kind of a joke the way uh, the way Stanley has a very uh, very obviously liberal point of view and Steve Ditko is a complete objective. I'm sorry, I keep on interrupting you, John. I don't mean to, but no, that's probably that's fine. That's well, kind I've of funny. Like the whole episode, I feel kind of bad, but <laughs> no, I mean I'm doing my recap, but we're supposed to be talking about it during the recap, so that's fine. So with all that out of the way. Jonah is called away from the meeting unhappily by Frederick Foswell, who is trying to prove he's gone straight by giving Jameson the list that we just saw the goblin holding a few minutes ago. And although we don't see it on the page, I'm sure Norman is grinning inside as he watches his plan unfold, because he's right in the other room as the list that he wants to get into Jameson's hands is being put there. There's an Untold Tales issue for you where, like, off to the side you see uh, Norman Osborne like, mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs> well, In Untold Tales, when they did, like, Jonah at the country club, they would have Norman there, and of course he'd be wearing a green business suit. And they'd, like, have Jonah address him as Norman, you know, and stuff, so. I mean, Untold Tales obviously, like, took that background character at the country club and ran with it thing. A short time later, at police headquarters, the goblin has followed Jameson in costume to make sure that the info is given to the police as he planned. And the police plan a raid on the mob. And this is what I was saying earlier, that like, to me, knowing that Norman is going to be the goblin, this all makes sense and it adds like an extra light to this scene. Because Jameson gets the list, he goes to the police, Norman was there when he got the list, he goes off and dashes into costume follows him to the police, and watches to make sure that his plan unfolds. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to me if, if we know that Norman is the goblin. Or if no, we know the that weird, the creators know. The panel right before they're at the country club, Goblin's Green says, perfect, now I just make sure that this list is made public, and I know just the way to do it. Next panel, it's Norman at the country club looking right at Jonah. Yes. It's, it's really and is standing there silently in the background as, like, Jonah, it's... It really like, comes it, together. Yeah, and I I didn't know. I mean, I I knew that the I knew. Oh yeah, that guy looks like Norman the first few times I read the issue. But like when I read it again, like for this with this in mind, I was like, like, holy heck! Because I I I never believed all that stuff about like how that was always supposed to be Norman. Because Dicko has his stock characters. Like there was a there was a Liz Allen lookalike for about three or four issues before Liz Allen got named and a personality. I mean Jonah, I'm Jonah. Dicko has background characters. And I just figured that Norman was a stock background character who eventually, hey, let's use this hairstyle and stuff for a person. Not so much. And now back to Peter Parker again. He gets his costume off the line and is all excited to go into action. Then before very long, the sound of wailing sirens attracts our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He follows them to see them raiding a hideout. The crooks are trying to escape through the back. But before the eager teenager can leap into action, another costume figure whizzes by stopping the getaway car in its tracks. The Green Goblin has totally confused Spidey, so Spidey gives him chase. But the wily Goblin, ever alert, glimpses the graceful, fast-moving figure who flits across the rooftops behind him. So he starts intentionally leading him to Lucky Lobo's headquarters so Spidey can do his fighting for him. Kind of sneaky of him. And a short distance away, the gang leader barks frenzied orders to his lieutenants to close up shop, hide evidence, burn the records... But no sooner does Lucky hang up the phone when the goblin flies through the window, throwing pumpkin bombs and smoke to confuse everyone. But before the smoke can clear, another colorful figure makes a neighborly call. Spidey is actually starting to think the goblin may have switched sides. And he's not going to let him tackle the mob alone. He's going to help out. So he swings into the room as well. And finally, when all the smoke is cleared, <laughs> the goblin is gone and Spider-Man is yeah. in a room full of gangsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh boy. A Green Goblin as a superhero, like that would ever work. Like you could even sustain a comic book about that for like 13 issues. (laughs) (laughs) And then carry the character over into an alternate future series of comics. That, That was actually a very good comic. Especially for the '90s, like where like everything was big guns. Rah. I've heard that because the Green Goblin series and the Thunderstrike series sort of came out around the same time, right? <laughs> I guess I've never read Thunderstrike, so I don't know. I heard they were both really. But uh, the the Green Goblin series was real good. So Spider-Man fights the gangsters while Goblin looks on from outside. At one point, Spider-Man locks himself into a room and calls Aunt May to say he'll be home. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that was great. That was like the, that was like the most that was that was like the. Like the one of the best Isn't it awesome? He's like fighting the bad guy, sneaks into a room with a phone and webs the door shut to make a phone call. And she's all impressed by his sense of responsibility and all is well again in the land of crazy old Aunt May. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I read stuff like Aquaman or The Flash, they never have to stop in the battles to call their parents. What, what Marvel's doing is so different and against the formula. Wow. It's for the new brand of reader, sir, and that means you. It's fun because Peter really could have given away his secret identity. The guys are the other, on the other side of the door. Aunt May <laughs> is really... Aunt May... I'm sorry, this is a very bad path to go down, but look at Aunt May in that bottom panel. She's like got a... If, she, if it wasn't for that face, she'd have a nice figure. Oh, Lord, you did not. That's it, I'm out of here. Okay, cover her face. Cover her face. Maybe. That's it, I'm out of here. Maybe. If I were a Ditko drawing who liked trapezoidally shaped women... Okay, whatever. <laughs> Guess what? Empire's, Empire State University's not real, so... <laughs> and Sally <Okay>. Avril's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, okay, I'll give you that. So, <laughs> when the gang finally busts the door down, Spidey's just standing there. And they don't realize that he has rigged a web blanket to fall from the ceiling and trap them all. Only Lucky Lobo gets away, but Spidey corners him and Lucky reveals that the only reason the goblin appears to be helping is so he can get Lucky out of the way and take over the mob himself. At that moment, the sound of wailing sirens again fills the air, and Spidey takes a powder, leaving everyone all webbed up. He catches up to the goblin, who's also flying away. They crash through a skylight. They taunt. They fight. For, you know, several pages. Yeah, and, and, and what do they crash into? Swords! What it? What is this building? Is it like Reed Richards' laboratory? There's yeah, machinery, and it's like a really... It's a big-ass room. <laughs> <laughs> it's really big, and there's like machines. Like, where are they? The I don't know. Lab. It's a very, very good question, because it, it's some sort of factory in you know the middle of Manhattan. It's, it's sort of like an arena for a fighting game. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is a level of... of um, Double Dragon or something. I, I couldn't think of any other cool na- cool games from the eighties. King of Fighters. Contra. Um, it's kind of a fighting game. Um, it's um, it, it's Professor Warren's laboratory from the cl- from the nineties Clone Saga. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a, it's a. Um, um, he finds a pumpkin bomb here trainer. later. That sets him on the trail. Sewer Trainer's like like redonkulous lab that you know. Oh yeah, that, that's that's right. I was confusing the labs. Right, Sewer Trainer's lab. Oh my god. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Which hey, it is in New York. You can, I mean. Theoretically, if you want to retcon that this was the same lab that Peter, you know, slapped his pregnant wife in, you could. <laughs> I out of nowhere. <laughs> so eventually, uh, the fight ends when Goblin uses up everything in his bag. So he hightails it out of there. And Spidey can't give chase because coincidentally at the same time, he's out of webs. 
Uh, meanwhile, the Green Goblin reaches his hideout a few minutes later, and by hideout we mean his home, where he lives with his high school-aged son. It's an apartment. It's not, it even, really it's not is. Like a man- it's not a mansion or anything, which, again, the Osbournes were not like, you know, the Hiltons back in the 60s. You know, they, they lived in apartments. They went to regular stuff. Who's to say that that's his actual home? Maybe he's like, you know, it, it, double It, it could home. be a house. There's nothing to say it has to be an apartment. It could just be – it could be a house. It could be anything. But when, but when he's flying in, it looks like there's like the building that you can see through the window is like brick and looks like another oh, – like a yeah. tall – Maybe I mean, he, but maybe – you can say that Norman's so rich that he's, like, rented a separate apartment in the city f- just for the Green Goblin. I was actually going to say that. Maybe he's renting an apartment or a hotel room or something for his Green Goblin hideout. Considering the fact that he's, like, walking around with his costume on without the thought of Harry coming in. Right. Just what does he think of Harry at all? <laughs> <laughs> he just tells him cellar door to make him forget it all. Cellar probably- door! Yeah. <laughs> that was a uh, Teenage Wasteland reference right there. Yeah, I remember that. So, Green Goblin turns on the radio to find out what happened with Lucky Lobo. Then, when the hourly news program is broadcast, he is shocked and appalled to learn that the entire gang was arrested. <laughs> the entire gang? It was all a waste. There is now nothing for the Goblin to take over. Aw, poor Goblin. <laughs> he was too successful. That's what he says. That's what he says. That it was all a waste. I was too successful. If the whole gang is in jail, I have nothing to take over. I'm no better off than I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last for no reason. Spider-Man. Shut up, Osborne. I'll make a man out of you if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> Maybe I should take over Asgard. <laughs> First, oh, we God. attack the heart. The heart of Thor. This plan was, was a lot, you know, made a lot more sense than Hollywood. Well, this made a lot more sense than going to Hollywood and then to New Mexico <laughs> and then to the caves with the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> It just didn't work out for him. You know, technically, has he has he ever committed any crimes in the series to this point? He tried to kill Spider-Man in Hollywood, but... Outside of actually fighting Spider-Man, which of course would be assault and public violence and, you know, attempts to kill. What about the, did he, I mean, didn't he, like, fight the Human Torch? And then he something? fought the Human Torch, yeah, but I mean, like... But outside, just kind of... outside of the comic book superhero fights, I don't think he's broken any... I don't. Not that we know of, he hasn't done anything. I mean, he's I mean built- in Untold Tales, like you've seen that he's like done some shady things, like hiring the Scorcher and uh, the Headsman. Yeah, I'm sure that? that if you know the the police found out that he was building incendiary devices disguised as pumpkins, they would probably have cause to take him in for questioning. But as far as like going out and doing something wrong, I don't like if if he would have gotten arrested at the end of this issue, what hit like what can they try him for this issue? Like he tried to take over the gang. As we all know, there's not a crime against wearing wearing a costume. Exactly. Yeah. It just has Abner Jenkins. <laughs> so Peter goes to the Bugle, where he finds out that Foswell was responsible for tipping off the police about Lucky Lobo. But this causes Peter to wonder about him even more, because the Goblin also wanted Lucky caught. And Betty still hasn't mentioned the Ned Leeds note, so Peter's worried about that. So he goes home, worrying himself in circles, when actually everything around him is for the moment just fine. And he actually, he actually says that he's like, oh, well, everything's actually not so bad. And yet I have well, a strange... It's, it's, kind of, it's, it's, it's slightly foreboding. He's like, what? what is it with me? Now my grades are fine. Aunt May's fine. Maybe Betty just probably forgot, like, what, what, what is the problem? Why am I feeling so anxious? So it's, it's Betty, a kind of ominous. Betty probably forgot that she's cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> we do get another Spidey pinup this issue with Spider-Man and a sort of reversed coloring 
with his web lines red and the red area is black. You like this one? I love this one. It's one of my favorites. I always thought it was kind of weird, but I can't. I love it's. It's got almost every villain that's been in the series, and it's got you know him, Aunt May. It's like Brady Bunch, you know, like in the middle, it's Aunt May on top, like Alice the maid, then Peter in the middle. He's got Liz, who looks a lot like Princess Python, actually, and that, uh, and Betty Brand on one side, and then Flash and Jonah under him, and Stan Lee and Steve Ditko in the top. Yeah, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and uh, this is going to take a while, but let's figure out if this is actually every villain that's appeared in the series. Oh, we got really? Chameleon, Chameleon from issue one, uh, Tinker and the Aliens that covers issue two, as long as they have the Vulture, which they do. Okay. Issue three was Dr. Octopus. Uh, he is... In the top left. I'm pretty, on the top left. Yep, there he is. Issue four was Sandman, correct? Yeah, he's yep. down there. Yep, yep, there he is. Issue five, Dr. Doom. I he's, see him. Issue six, Lizard. There's um, the, even the burglar. Yeah, okay. Um, issue seven... Seven. seven was the vulture again. Yes. Yeah, eight, uh, Living Brain. Is he here? Living Brain's there. Oh my god, they included Living Brain. <laughs> Nine was Electro. Electro's there. Ten was the big man who's up there with all three Enforcers. With the Enforcers. Eleven's Doc Ock again, as is twelve. Thirteen's Mysterio, which is... Right below the Enforcers. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Right, there he is. Right above Green Goblin. Uh, Fourteen, Goblin. There he is. Uh, Craven for fifteen. 15. We got the Circus of Crime. The Master and the Circus. Yep, seventeen's Goblin again. Eighteen is Sandman. 19 is Sandman and Enforcers, and they're already here. 20 is... The Scorpion. Scorpion yeah. is there. 21 is the Beetle. Where's? Oh, yeah, I see the Beetle. It's right by Scorpion. 22 is the Circus again, introducing um, Python. Princess Python, and she's down there. So, yeah, uh, they've, they've, they've got every single villain that's appeared in this series. Do they have the entire Circus? Um, they got Clown, Ringmaster, Python, those two guys, and Mr. Bullet. <laughs> Don't you mean them, the young Bandos, and... Cannonball? Yeah, those guys. They're not important. I'm just trying to remember if there was anybody else. Um, Ringmaster, Human Cannonball, Clown, Strongman. And Princess Slut, yeah. Great Gambanos. They don't have the Strongman. But oh, still, though, I mean, the circus is represented. The circus is, yeah. And you know what? Spider-Man stepped on the Strongman in that one panel. <laughs> yeah, that, that empty that empty panel that like they couldn't fill. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they did a pretty good job, about, uh, including everyone from all the issues up to date. So. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> On the last page, I am noticing that that uh, when Betty Brand is portrayed to the side, her chest is rather pointy. Oh my god! Because <laughs> I've been on this last page for a while. Are you looking like, at the first or the second? But the first panel is more noticeable than the second. The first panel looks right. stuffed. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna knock Peter over. <laughs> you can watch so, out for those things. So we do have a first appearance this issue. Lucky Lobo. Oh, yes, he will return. It will take over 30 years, but he will return. Does he die? <laughs> he opens up a shop with Blackie Gaxton. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man Annual 97. And he was also used in Untold Tales. That I remember vaguely. And speaking of Untold Tales, oh, the uh, last day. issue of that series takes place after this one. So we are now to the end of the Untold Tales era. Spider-Man teams up with... The Green Goblin? That was like, <laughs> like he, yeah, he and the Green Goblin had to team up to fight someone. Peter was taking a tour of ESU. Liz was telling Flash that she was thinking about not going to college because her grades weren't so good. Uh, they had tied up most of the plot lines in the previous issues. 
Like, the issue before, they tied up the Batwing storyline. They tied up the Jason storyline. Jason felt guilty because he killed Sally in a drunk driving accident. And Is that why the Joker killed him? Which, which, which Jason are you talking about? Jason Ionel. One of the classmates. And, uh, oh, was that drunk driving? I thought it was just like a Oh, not drunk driving. I'm sorry. No, he he went. Why did I say drunk driving? He went. He went through like a. He was speeding and he didn't have a license or something. And uh, I'm trying to remember all the plot lines that were tied up. Like there was stuff about Tiny. Like he got kicked out of his dad. I mean, all the characters have plot lines. It would take too long. But those had gotten tied up in the previous issues. So the last issue was just like a glorified epilogue. Like even Betty's mother. They're like, we're gonna find the best care for her, and then she dies off panel, and they never mention it. <laughs> Like, because there was a doctor that came in during one of the Scarecrow issue, because they brought in the Scarecrow, Marvel's version. Some doctor that was involved in the story said that he was going to transfer Betty's mother to the best facility, and that was the last time she was ever mentioned. And we later find out, like, in 80 Spider-Man stories that Betty's mom has been dead for a while, so... At some point, she died off-panel, and they never mentioned it. Which she may explain died why Betty was... that Bennett Brandt died, you know, she learned no, about no, 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 it, it was later on. Well, she was in a coma when Bennett died, so she never found out. But it would explain why Betty was able to, like, leave town as freely as she was able to, like, in, in the upcoming arc. Uh, but, yeah, they go to ESU. He teams up with the Goblin. We see Harry and Gwen taking a tour also, and uh, Miles Warren sees Gwen for the first time. Uh-oh. So, yeah, no more Untold Tales. I'm pretty sad. But you guys are probably happy because you're probably sick of me saying Untold Tales <laughs> every episode. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I, I mean, I'm just glad. like you. Like, like, when it was out, I, I collected it. I don't know where the issues are right now. I, I've long lost them, but that was a great series. I, I don't want to recollect. I have the first trade. I want to recollect the rest of the series. I haven't and read it's it. I really reading it, but I did not have the knowledge that you have about it. So I'm glad you brought that to the table. We needed that for the show. And it's really good how they tied in, like, little stuff like, oh, that's why he was called Peter Palmer. Or, you know, or, oh, that's why Aunt May, Aunt May was saying Anna Watkins. <laughs> And, um, like, like, oh, that's what happened on him and Betty's first date. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know that? if you know, John. They did a whole issue from Mary Jane's point of view. That's that in the Mary Jane trade. Really? Yeah, that took, that took place around the time of, like, issue 15, where you see Anna Watson, like, doing the same thing that Mary Jane as Aunt May was doing to Peter. Like, I've arranged a date for you with a nice boy. And then Mary Jane's saying, like, no, 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 I can get my own dates. You know, I don't want to, you know. And then she's, like, thinking that she knows he's Spider-Man. And at the end of the issue, she says, if Anna Watson, it's, if Anna keeps on pushing this, I'll just fake a cold or something. Yeah. Now, I was getting ready to say that after this point, Spider-Man's chronology becomes much more straightforward. But I'm sitting here looking at Chronology Project. When I first started reading the later issues of Spider-Man, I used this site to kind of make sure I was getting everything. And there would be huge strings of ASM issues without break because he wouldn't have any you know, guest appearances anywhere else. But over the last couple of years, they've gone in and really filled in a lot of the flashbacks that take place later. There's an alias issue. Um, there's later annuals stuck in here. Web spinners issues. Um, the web spinner issue at the for, for where they where they go to prom, which actually makes no sense <laughs> because Liz, because like uh, I'll, I'll explain it later. But basically, there's no way that that could fit in the timeline due to the stuff that happens with Benny and Liz in that story. It was an attempt to fit it in, but it doesn't. It doesn't go smoothly. It's 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 a long story. I mean, I, it's it's basically my continuity like brain wasn't able to like wrap around how the heck this could work. Well, I I, I project our um our book order for a year because I'm uh, sort of OCD like that. And about this time next year, we're going to be covering Spectacular Spider-Man number two. Damn. And we'll talk about stories that don't fit in the way they're supposed to. We're going to have fun with that one. Oh my. 
because uh, and that was done by Stan Lee, who was also writing the regular book, and it just it. It oh, when you say Spectacular Spider-Man number two, okay, I thought you meant like no, 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 like, I'm talking about the Return of the Green yeah, Goblin, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, I just realized where you were going with that. I was like, there's no way. Oh, no, there's no <laughs> way we're going to get to 1976 by next year. <laughs> you know what has no way of fading in the continuity at all? Spectacular Spider-Man issue one. There is no way. Really. Absolutely. Yeah, because they redid that story during the Conway run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, as it stands, yes. And then they go in later, they, they redo it, so like, they have to erase the first Oh, is that, is that like the election thing? Yeah, like, unless, yeah. like, same I thing remember happens, that. Unless the same thing happened twice, you know? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, um, yeah. it's low, this monster re- revisited, I think, is the... Uh, it's because uh, cause the, the exact same guy who's is, like, either he's, he's shady in one story and, like, really, like... Like uh, altruistic in another story. I know, it was, and then yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was a wacky thing. Yeah, there's no way that like that can work at we'll, all. We'll talk about that- both versions. We'll cover the uh, spectacular number one when we get to it, and then you know months later we'll cover uh, what was that eighty through it was in the eighties or nineties. Captain they- Stacy was alive, so it had to be pre night. No, it wasn't. They did it after Captain Stacy died. So like they removed Captain Stacy from the story. It was right before he went to Canada to fight the Hulk. It was right before Gwen died, because, like, the joke is, at the end of, like, the, one of the parts of the story, when the ceiling's collapsing, he's like, oh, no, Gwen's gonna die. And then it's like, don't worry, Spider-Man, Gwen's not gonna die for another five or six issues. You're right, I have it in front of me. It's 116 to 118. Yeah, right before she dies. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, all that random geeking out aside. Okay, page five. The guy that Frederick Foswell was talking to you, does that remind you guys of anyone? The it's the original person? patch. I know, that's what I'm thinking. It looks just like Patch, the identity that Foswell would assume later on. Oh, so I'm yeah! Wondering if, I'm wondering if it's like a Matches Malone situation where, like, you know, the informant gets killed, so Batman, like, takes his identity. But yeah, that looks just like Patch. Dude, okay, um, I, are we going to argue that that was intentional? I don't think that that was intentional. I think I think that that was a Ditko stock character who, like, later got fleshed out. At the beginning of the issue, Green Goblin's talking about how this plan is taking too long and how he's getting impatient. I find that really funny because now Norman Osborn is known for, like, doing plans that take, like, seven to nine years to come to fruition. Maybe he started taking some medication. <laughs> I guess. I just, uh, I find that funny. He's like, oh, this plan is taking too long. And it's like, dude, you engineered the Holmes, the clone saga. I know, right? And, and like, faked, the, faked your own death for 20 years. Towards the end of the issue, there's two panels where Peter's like, oh, I'm going to call on May. Oh, she's talking to a neighbor. Oh, well, time to go to the Daily Bugle. And I guess to me, it just really comes out of nowhere. And it's like Dicko drew those panels and Stan did not know how to fill them in. And I know that it's been the theme, I know that it's been the theme this whole issue that like he's been calling on May because she yelled at him last issue. But that just to me, it really felt random. Where are you it's looking like, at? OK, it's uh, the top of page 19. OK, I was flipping through. I hadn't gotten that far yet. Oh, well, I called her. Oh, well, I'll call her later. It's, I don't know. Yeah. No, I see what you're I mean, saying. He's he's walking on the wall, he changes, and he's in a phone booth, and then he's in the bugle. Which, yeah, by the way, it says it's a busy signal, but then Aunt May says that she wasn't home. <laughs> so, who was at the house using their phone? Ah. Uh, Norman Osborne. Uh, see, that's what I think. Norman Osborne didn't go to his own house to up to the very end. He went to someone else's house, and that house was the Parker's. Maybe she went over to the Watsons. Maybe she was calling the Watsons right then to see if she could come over, and then she went over there. <laughs> she told Mary Jane to wait there home for Peter, and it's like, and if a hussy named <laughs> Betty Brand happens to call, you pick up the phone and say that Peter's in the shower cleaning up. <laughs> 
looking at Spider's Web for this issue, we oh have my. Leonard Olsen is another voice speaking up saying they should put Peter in college soon. Mrs. Rhoda Katerinsky congratulates Marvel on writing subject matter that has led to a lot of intellectually stimulating discussions with her kids. <laughs> Can <laughs> okay, you make Donovan. ice webs? <laughs> now, she actually gives some pretty good examples here. Let me just kind of pull some of, some of the stuff that she says. Um, such as a study of Norse mythology, hypnosis, biology to explain Spider-Man radiation, history, Sergeant Fury who is still fighting World War II, and others. I was particularly impressed by Sergeant Fury number six, in which bigotry and discrimination were discussed. That led to a greater explanation of anti-Semitism, reasons why Kennedy was concerned over the fact that his election might have been affected by his being a Catholic, the current prominence of freedom writers, core demonstrations for Negro rights, etc. So that seems pretty cool to me. I can I can see how conversations would go directions like that from a comic book okay. But yeah, then there's Ice Webs. <laughs> I like uh, Sandy Griffith's letter. She basically... Uh... I don't know. I'm like cheering as I'm reading this. She says, I don't think you are giving Betty true to life female characteristics. Sooner Sooner or later, she will have to admit that she's in love with Peter Parker. If she doesn't, he will never know that she feels the same way about him as he feels about her. As for blonde Liz Allen, misspelled, if she wants to flirt with Pete, shouldn't she wait until Flash and Betty aren't around? (laughs) Flash could could beat Peter up and she will find herself without any girlfriends if her attitude doesn't change Peter's aunt needs to be a little more understanding if she's to reflect graciously on our senior citizens of course Peter will also have to learn to say no to his aunt unless he desires to remain tied to her apron strings okay what's this woman's name again? Sandy Griffith Sandy Griffith Griffith, I salute you (laughs) oh Oh, oh, oh like every I, I, my favorite is like, why is Liz flirting with Flash and Betty around? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we know why she's doing it with Betty around, like to kind of like stake her claim. But when Flash is around, that's just. Yeah. I love someone wrote a letter saying that Peter should work for Tony Stark. I, I kind of like that because they, that's what they actually wound up doing right before Civil War. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, someone was talking on uh, the po- on this, the crawl space I listened to today about. Yeah, your Fred Van Lente interview. Y'all, y'all briefly went on a tangent about what would ha- what would Peter Parker's be li- like life be like if he hadn't become Spider-Man, and like he might have you know been the the nerd who went off to work for Tony Stark and became embittered because he wasn't getting enough use of his own technology, so he became an Iron Man villain. That was y'all's little speculation they had on a on the interview. But yeah, you obviously that would be a good what if. Yeah, pretty good what if. Another Sandy, Sandy Loomis, who's actually this isn't the first time he's been published, or she says that Spider-Man joining a team would be like the Mandarin joining the X-Men. So uh, I guess he's right, unless you count the new Avengers and the new Fantastic Four. And Bill wait, Miller wait, wait. gave the Scorpion some love, so and that, that's all I have from the letters column. Well, I, I love the Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion's cool. In the special announcements section, they have some fun teasing the readers about the Green Goblin's secret identity, and they get more mileage from their new breed of reader line that they're using right now. The ads this month. <laughs> I like the ad of the guy going for the interview where the girl says, I'm sorry, but we're only hiring high school graduates. <laughs> <laughs> we do have ads for the X-Men number 10, where they fight Kazar, of all people. Um, this was the first revival of that character. He was around in the Golden Age, and they've made some changes to him. So It's not the same character, but um, I guess Stanley wanted to bring back his Tarzan ripoff. Is that how you pronounce it? I always said Kazar. I've heard it Kazar. I've always said Kazar. It it sounds like Kazar would be right the way it's spelled. but I've heard it both ways. Um, I love boys wanting to sell grid. It's like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. (laughs) 
they start giving you prizes after a while. They say free prizes in this ad, but after a while they start showing you the prizes. And then uh, there's this ad that says, congratulations, you just won a free iPod Nano. <laughs> in 1965. Yeah. yeah. Journey into Mystery 114 has Thor against the Absorbing Man, which proved to be a pretty tough fight. Now, I saw a really silly Absorbing Man story in a backup just uh, within the last couple of days from like April. And he was really pretty cheesy there. But if you read these first uh, couple issues with the Absorbing Man fighting Thor, it's done really effectively. The Absorbing Man is one of those simple ideas that if you if you do it right and you take it to its logical conclusion, he's rather epic and vastly powerful. Mm. But you have to do it right. And the Fantastic Four 37 is called Beyond a Distant Star. This is the one where, if I remember right, the Fantastic Four go to the Skrull homeworld in order to get revenge for the death of Susan's and Johnny's father. And we get some of our first insights into the Skrull's culture that would be built upon throughout Marvel's history. Vengeance. Vengeance is mine. How does he die? I think, isn't he shot? It's been a while. Yeah, it, it has been a while. It's, it was just a few issues before. It's like 31 or something, 34 maybe. The funny thing is when, like, the father first appears, Reed, like, sees the picture. Why is Susan, like, so mysterious about him? Could this be a romantic rival for me? <laughs> Another old man. <laughs> oh, man. Which, which uh, they later retconned that I think Reed was a boarder at, like, Sue's house when she was 12 or something, and she fell in love with him that way. But I've seen that. I don't, maybe, the, maybe the dad wasn't in the picture back then. But if he was, then Reed should definitely know who that man is. Or, yeah, yeah, if he was living there, you'd think you'd remember. I was going to say it's been a while, but if, if he was living there, those Yeah, get, but like, if you were, but maybe, but I but I, I seem to recall, like, the scenario was when they reunited with the father, that was that he hadn't been seen in a while. The, um, the death of the father was tied up in the Super Scroll story. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. There was an issue where the Super Scroll was wearing a mask. And the, the, the teaser through the whole issue was, who is this guy? And it's thought that it might be the, uh, the Storm's father. And then in the battle at the end, the father gets killed. And I can't remember what that... It wasn't the Impossible Man, because he's the guy with the green pointy head. Oh, I think the they impossible. tied, like, a bomb to him. Yes. <laughs> that, 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 that's what it was. And, like, because when the, like, four would run to him, they were going to explode. It was a trap. And then they teleported him to where they were. And he's like, no, stay back. And he purposely, like, smothered himself on the ground so that the bomb would only kill him. Right, so it was the death was at the hands of the scrolls, but it was tied into a super scroll story, and I can't remember what I need to look at a color ga- cover gallery. What that um the name the super scroll was using then? Super scroll? No, he was using it. He. I'm pretty sure it was just super scroll. No, because that was the thing is he was wearing a mask, and oh. the the idea was who is the person in the mask, and it turned out to be the super scroll, the Invincible Man. That was him. And with that profound discovery of the Invincible Man as the Super Scroll's secret identity, we are going to bring episode 17 of the show to a close. I want to thank you again for all of your emails. Please do continue to write, and we'll be uh, splicing in our responses to your emails into previously recorded episodes. That way, you get responses, and we keep our lead time between recording and publication to prevent any further delays in episodes like we've had in the past. The email address is, of course, AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. You are also free to write us reviews on iTunes, where you can subscribe to the show. There is the website, AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. You can download the files there and see any artwork that might be posted or humorous notes. I am going to be putting a link to the pinup that we mentioned earlier here today. And finally, there is, of course, the Facebook page. 
If you do a search for Amazing Spider-Man Classics, there is a fan page. You can keep in touch with the show there and get news about new episodes as they're released, humorous comments. A lot of times we'll talk about what we're recording as we're doing so and kind of tease you about you know the fu- what the future holds. That is all at Amazing Spider-Man Classics on Facebook. If you were a member of the old Facebook group that existed, you may want to go check out the new Facebook page because that old group has been deleted in favor of the fan page style that Facebook has set up. Next week, expect coverage of issues 24 and 25 of Amazing Spider-Man as he is faced with both the daunting idea that he might be going insane as well as a robot created by his arch-nemesis, Mr. J. Jonah Jameson. We do have a special guest joining us for that episode, so we look forward to seeing you there. Until then, as always, thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Hourly news pro. Sorry, I forgot, forgot to mute when I blew my nose. <laughs> All over my face. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I'll that one. Dear Amazing Spider-Man Classics, please stop making fun of me. Just because I want to date all the men who I can and my boyfriends are not allowed, who doesn't mean that you get to make fun of me. P.S. Please tell Doc Ock I said hi. I miss my brother. Signed, Betty Brandt. Dear Amazing Spider-Man Classics, I love the show. Keep it up. My favorite part is when you impersonate that that annoying old woman, Betty Brandt. Sincerely, Elizabeth Allen, with an A. Dear Spider-Man Crawlspace, how dare you start a podcast about that web-swinging menace? You should start a podcast about a real hero, like my son John Jameson. The John Jameson Classics Podcast. Dear Amazing Spider-Man Classics, you know. Devoting the whole podcast to that web-swinging men. I can't do a good Jameson voice, but, you know, something along those. Your amazing Spider-Man classics. My son, John Jameson. He should be the subject of your podcast. You web-swinging menace. He went to space, and he became a werewolf. And also Captain Jupiter sometimes. But people remember the wolf thing more. He married the She-Hulk, although I can't possibly see why. But he's my son, and he's more of a hero than that web-swinging Spider-Man. Barker! Go to that Spider-Man fan club meeting and sabotage it. I don't know what a podcast is, but Peter gave me this little flashlight, and it's been playing music and videos, and I heard you guys in it. Please get out of my flashlight.
Dear Amazing Spider-Man Classics, you should do video podcasts. I'd love to see a video podcast. Sign Alicia Masters. Co-signed with Matt Murdock. Oh. That catches us up on all the emails. want to thank everyone so much for writing into the show. Uh, the email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. And we will try to uh, sprinkle these in more frequently so we don't have to have a big, massive catch-up. Um, although I... L- What you people are doing to our host? You're killing him! Stop emailing us! Stop! A bug just flew in my mouth. Ladies and gentlemen of Gotham City, live! The death of John Wilson! <laughs> okay, seriously. A bug seriously flew in your mouth? Seriously, like one of those little teeny tiny flying insects that like, you know, gets in through window cracks and stuff, was just kind of buzzing around, flew right into my mouth. Ugh. It was the wasp. Bypass yeah, the is, tongue. It's the wasp. She, she's like, as a wasp, I have a natural hate <laughs> podcast about spiders. <laughs> I must kill John Wilson. Cram down his throat. Janet, what did I tell you about flying into other men's mouth? Slap. Slap. Uh. Okay.